Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the game day podcast from TalkSport as we look back on all the weekend action in the company of the former Newcastle and Palace midfielder Darren Ambrose and TalkSport commentator Alex Crook. Pep over the blue moon as Tuchel and Klopp produce super game whilst falling out of the frame. Chelsea 2, Liverpool 2, an absolutely fantastic game from start to finish. Neither of these teams helped by a one-all draw, just a point apiece, but what an absolute treat we've had here at Stamford Bridge. Dire Straits, Toffee's beaten at home for the fourth time this season. They've spent £500 million on players over the years, but they've tossed out money for nothing. And Rafa could pay the price for pragmatism and the lack of a coherent plan. Also, Arsenal produce their best display under Arteta and lose. Leeds put distance between them and the bottom three. And West Ham hold on after a first half blitz. Refs under the microscope, Ranieri losing again, and there's the small matter of Lukaku making Tuchel turn the air blue. It's a breathless weekend, and like Matteo Kovacic at Stamford Bridge on Sunday, we've got everything covered. The Game Day Podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface. What a weekend. It was an absolutely breathless weekend. So much happened, so many brilliant games, and some great talking points as well. Before we get stuck into what was a thrilling game, on Sunday afternoon involving Chelsea and Liverpool, of which the winners were definitely Manchester City and Pep Guardiola. Pop, he's just got a bottle of champagne out, a second one for tonight. Um, Let's talk about uh, the big talking point which emerged sort of over the weekend but was intensified on Sunday with more comments coming out from Romelu Lukaku, apparently is having a meeting on Monday where after which he's going to be able to talk some more, according to Tim Howard, who reported that on Sunday. What on earth is going on between Chelsea and Romelu Lukaku? Here's our newsman, Alex Crook. It's it's a baffling situation. Um, Clearly, Lukaku was happy with Tim Howard to release that information. Otherwise, it wouldn't be out in the public domain. Do you know what? I keep going back and reading these quotes, and and we did it on the boot room um, in detail on Sunday night. I'm not sure what he said is actually that bad. Okay, We, we, We said in the last podcast that basically the, the purpose of the interview was to try and appease the Inter Milan fans. Yeah. It has backfired in the respect that now a lot of Chelsea fans have turned against him. But ultimately uh, he was saying that he wasn't happy because he's not playing. He wasn't happy that the coach is using a different system, which we know was the false number nine. And I think most record signings and arguably most strikers and most footballers w- would probably feel exactly the same. I guess the problem is that he's done the interview unsolicited. The club didn't know, Apparently his own agent didn't know that he was going to do the interview. But I think it's a bit rich of us as journalists and media men to criticise him for that. 
I'm not sure Thomas Tuchel needed to magnify the situation by taking the action he did. I think he would have been better playing him and then saying it's been dealt with behind closed doors. Clearly, he's had his say now. It sounds like Lukaku is going to have his counter say, and it just goes on and on and on. So I think it's all very unsavoury for Chelsea. I think when they were 2-0 down early on, it looked like the decision had backfired. Now they've got a 2-2 draw, which doesn't really help their title hopes, but it looks like a, a good result under the circumstances. Tuchel won't be criticised for the decision to leave out his main number nine. But it just seems to me that he's making a a, a crisis out of something that could have been dismissed as a bump in the road. Yeah, but by the very fact that uh, the quotes have come out again on Sunday suggesting that there is a further meeting, the situation is hot, Darren Ambrose. Is it, in your view... Uh, situation that Romelu Lukaku is trying to force through a transfer, trying to raise the possibility of a move back to Inter Milan or, or back to Italy? Because it's also, I, I read comments from other journalists who are suggesting that privately Lukaku has expressed his desire to, to move out of London because he, he finds it very difficult to, to live in the city. Yeah, absolutely. I think he, he's looking to, to force a move. It, it seems that way. I think it was it was naive. I think for a 28-year-old experienced professional like Romelu Lukaku is, to say it was naive, sh- you shouldn't be saying it. I mean, I am all for it. I, I, I think Thomas Tuchel made the right call. I think he... he no, no player is bigger than the club. As Crookie said, we, we spoke about this in depth on, on Sunday night in the boot room. And I, I was strongly for the decision Thomas Tuchel made. I think, like we said, when, it, when, it was, when Chelsea were 2-0 down, it looked like it was going to be backfiring. But I still don't think it would have been. I think you, you can't... We've seen this many times where, where players uh, go out in public and criticise the, the team. And then the manager comes and says, oh, we've kept it all behind closed doors. We've fined them. You never know if that's the case. And, and look, it, financially, it's not going to bother. No fine is going to bother these, these players. They're, they're very wealthy players. And to, to leave them out against Liverpool, to leave him out against Liverpool and essentially come back to draw 2-2, I think it was a fantastic decision. If, if he hadn't have left him out and said, right, you're important to us, we're going to play you against Liverpool and then maybe we'll leave you out at the, the, the semi-final against Spurs or, or the FA Cup... It's too late by then, and I, I feel he he's made the right call. No player's bigger than the club, as I said, and but it doesn't matter if you're 100 million or, or 10 million. You, you don't criticise your manager or your football team. But it, it seems like a, a war that no one really needed to have. I mean, I don't I understand. I mean, maybe he is incredibly unhappy about his time in London, Romelu Lukaku, but his complaints were made initially on the 29th of November. Mm. He'd been out for a few weeks with an ankle injury prior to the game that he missed. And there was only one game that he missed up until that point. Subsequently missed a couple of games, actually, and then had COVID, then missed another couple of weeks. So, I mean, his complaints really are that, what, they left him out of the Manchester United game? That Because the interview was straight after that. Up until that point, they hadn't left him out, had they? What do you make of the timing of the quotes being released? Because if you get a hot interview like that, I don't really understand why you would sit on it for three weeks. And, and clearly the narrative at Chelsea had changed. It, it came out the day after they dropped a couple of points at home to Brighton, continuing what's been a, a relatively poor run when you look at the last few weeks. It seems a bit deliberate from from Sky Italia to to sit on that mm. kind of information. What, the day before the transfer window opened, mm. you mean? Yeah, I, I just think if you get that kind of interview, that I think there's a moral obligation to to put it straight out because it, when it first came out, it looked like he'd been speaking after that Brighton game. We'd seen Thomas Tuchel storm yeah. off the night before. We'd seen a couple of players pick up key injuries. So I'm interested as a as a journalist in the timing of it as well. But you're right; it is a war that doesn't need to be fought. Your 
obviously someone who follows Chelsea closely. Where do you think the board will come down? You know, will they be in favour of what Thomas Tuchel has done with a strong, strong arm action? Or will they be upset that we've created this sort of circus now? Don't know. I think that uh, Marina Granaskaya, who is the overlord at Chelsea, makes all the big decisions. Very close to Federico Pastorella, actually, who is the agent of um, Romelu Lukaku, who didn't know about the the interview and was the one who orchestrated the move back to Stamford Bridge and suggested to him it was the only chance he would ever get to go back to play for a team that he grew up supporting and wanted to join and and talked about being uh, the new main man at Chelsea and walking in Drogba's shoes, etc., etc., etc. Very strange situation. It's turned very sour very quickly. Obviously, you know, they've spent £100 million mm. on him. So the idea that he now is going to get a passport out of Stamford Bridge is seems ludicrous, really, because no one's going to pay that sort of money. They're not going to loan him out, that's for sure. But Chelsea have got themselves into another tangle with another striker. Uh, and the list is endless. Yeah. Absolutely endless. I think so. From going all the way back to Tony Cascarino and Robert Fleck in the early 90s. Chelsea and strikers just do not just do not go together. I, I think Sam as well that he's essentially criticizing Chelsea and and I think like I said that's why it's so naive. I think essentially he was trying to to praise into Milan and get back in their good books but by doing but that why, he's criticized he Chelsea need and to do it did he? He's not going back there. He hasn't got a house there. His family don't live there. No. You know, I it just if, all you're, seems if you're not like happy, you go to the muddle. manager. You, I've been in these situations before. You go to the manager privately. You tell him you're not happy. You don't publicly state it. And for a, a, I said this on Sunday, for a disciplinarian as such as Thomas Tuchel is made out to be, there's only one winner in terms of that. He's going to drop him as he's done. And let me say as well, I'd be very shocked if the senior players of the morning of the game wasn't called into a meeting and, and told this was going to be the case. And no senior player on the morning of a game would go against the manager if he says, I'm going to drop Romelu from, from the squad. They would be yeah. all for it. OK, it, it, it will go to... It will, you'll, you'll see what in the coming weeks of what the, uh, the outcome will be. But if he hadn't have punished him, the younger players in that team will, will be led to believe, well, you can kind of get away with what you want with this manager. And, you know, that's not a good look. Yeah, interesting, though. As Crookie said, what did he actually say that was... I suppose, a, a, a problem for Thomas Tuchel to deal with. Or well, was I mean, it he said everything that, that should have been said in scenario, private. That whole scenario comes into the public domain, yeah, as you say, mm. and therefore increases the noise off stage around Chelsea at a point in the season when everybody needs to be focused on getting results on the pitch. Well, they didn't get a result on the pitch uh, on uh, Sunday afternoon. They drew 2-2 with Liverpool. But I suppose, in some way, when you're 2-0 down, it's not a bad result. No, it's a great result. I mean, we we were watching that first 20, 25 minutes and it looked like they could be on the end of a, a hammering and I did wonder where Thomas Tuchel would turn next. Just before we close the door on the Lukaku situation, I do wonder if he would have been so hard line if it was Chelsea who were going into the weekend eight points clear at the top of the table and not Manchester City. I wonder if a, 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 a Thomas Tuchel with a happier outlook at this moment in time might well have found it easier to dismiss those comments. I guess we'll never know, but they show great character. You think he's got a cob on, don't you? You think he's got a cob on? Yeah, so I think he... him on Wednesday. Yeah, night. I think he's dropping. Do you? Hmm. Yeah, we'll do it. But listen, good character for, from Chelsea to come back into the game. It was a wonderful advert for the Premier League on what was a brilliant weekend. Some fantastic games, great stories and some terrific goals as well. Let's get into it. Mo Salah has scored this one and it was an absolute beaut as well. Um, it was a lovely ball in from 
Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold spotted the run of Salah on the right-hand side of the penalty box and what a finish it was from him as well. 16 Premier League goals for the season for Mo Salah. Butte from Matteo Kovacic from about 20 yards out. Game on here, it's Chelsea 1, Liverpool 2. Wow, we definitely have game on now. It's Chelsea 2, Liverpool 2. Christian Pulisic on the score sheet after some fantastic work. What kind of team talk is it going to be at half-time from Thomas Tuchel and Pep Linders, who's standing in for Jurgen Klopp. It's finished Chelsea 2, Liverpool 2. An absolutely fantastic game from start to finish. Neither of these teams helped by a one-all draw, just a point apiece. But what an absolute treat we've had here at Stamford Bridge. Let's start with Chelsea 2, uh, Liverpool 2. Chelsea went 2-0 behind. Let's start with the first instant of the game. Six seconds into the match, Darren Ambrose. Mm. Sadio Mane goes up, elbows Cesar Afpilicueta. Should he have been sent off? Yes, I think he should. I think he led with the arm. He's elbowed him in the face. Uh, it was probably because it was so early in the game that he's got away with one. And we had a caller. That, that rung up and said, oh, I'm, I'm old school and I'm, I, we're always told to go out and leave your mark on an opponent on the first challenge. Times have changed now. And with VAR, why that wasn't deemed to be a red card, I do not know. Because like I said, you cannot lead with your arm into a face, endangering your opponent. And and then obviously, lo and behold, nine minutes later, he, he goes on and scores <laughs> the first goal. I just think he shouldn't have been on the pitch to score that goal. With a little helping hand from Trevor Chalobah, who yeah. decided for some reason to do like a body crunch uh, <laughs> when it was possible just to kick the ball away with his left foot. It was a bit of a strange manoeuvre from Trevor Chalobah, who actually was at fault for the Bryson equaliser on Wednesday night as well when he failed to jump uh, from that cross, which led to the Danny Welbeck goal. Um, yeah, Mane then scores that goal, which puts them in front. Salah, lovely finish for yeah. the second goal for Liverpool Crook. Yeah, and they're going to miss those two players, aren't they? Um, it's amazing, actually, if you look at the number of African players who are having a real impact on, on this Premier League season, not just in, in terms of the title race, but obviously Wilfred Zaha is going to depart from Crystal Palace. Eve Basuma, who's been one of Brighton's best performers. So it Brilliant. shows uh, you know, the, the uh, extent to which uh, African talent is really making a mark in this country. We just go back to the Sadio Mane situation. VAR, I think, have explained that the reason it wasn't deemed a red card was because it was reckless as opposed to violent that was the way that both Darren Bent and I saw it as well um, I think it was it was clumsy as opposed to malicious from Sadio Mane and I think it would have ruined what was a great game had he have been sent off inside the first minute I know that shouldn't come into to thinking but I, I probably think it was the right decision I disagree with Darren Ambrose Yep, OK. Well, I'm sure it divides opinion, but a lot of these big decisions do, as we will surely find out over the course of the next uh, hour or so. Um, then Ch Chelsea are now on the floor. They're 2-0 down at home. The whole world's crumbling. Stamford Bridge is falling down. And no one knows what's going to happen next. Um, Mo Seller actually could have made it 3-0. Chalaber makes a great intervention. And then all of a sudden... Of all people, Matteo Kovacic, who for you know nine games out of ten couldn't hit a barn door with a banjo, and actually once said to me after a game recently when he scored, I think it was against Aston Villa, I spoke to him down by the touchline, he said to me, I'm usually not very good at that. <laughs> he meant scoring. Uh, scores an absolute wonderful goal, Darren. You'd been proud of that sort of effort from the edge of the area. Oh, it was absolutely sensational. First and foremost, the the delivery from Alonso was, was fantastic, and Kelleher just had to punch it out. And what made this so good, he was backpedalling as the ball was dropping. He had no backlift, so no run-up, no backlift. And to just connect and loop that into the top corner was a sensational finish. And then 
what what was the scary thing though? Well, then they were checking if Rudiger was was in the way from VAR. I mean, Which if that wasn't. if it that wasn't. was disallowed, it would have been an absolute travesty. But it wasn't, and it, and it was to count. And you know that up there, that there is one of the goals of the season at the at the moment, if not the goal of the season. Just the technique and the the technical aspect of that goal was was fantastic. Super finish. And then Pulisic, who'd you know, largely been anonymous in the game, actually scored uh, the equalising goal just before half time. And Chelsea, well worth. Uh, being level at halftime. Actually, over the course of the 90 minutes, Chelsea were the better team and, and probably, probably should have edged it. Uh, they made some really odd decisions. I mean, N'Golo Conte is fantastic at winning the ball back, brilliant at protecting the back four. But two, three, four times, he gets himself into a great position, high up the field, in the final third. He's in possession of the football, mainly because of the work that he's done. He's skated past players. He's carried the ball into the opposition uh, final third. And then he just cannot find that pass. He wasn't able. Now, maybe that's a bit of ring rustiness because he's been out with so many injuries and so many other issues that he's had over the last, well, very long while, actually, nearly two years. But those selections, those pass selections, Pulisic was the same. In that final third, Alonso had a great chance to square it when they got into the penalty area. There was four on two inside the Liverpool box and he decided to go for glory and shoot goalwards when there were two players to his right that he could have landed it at the feet of. He went to shoot right-footed, wasted it. Great opportunities, didn't take them. And, and that, that has been Chelsea's problem, actually, over the course of the season, especially in the recent run where they've dropped points at home, not taking some of those chances. If Alenia had a £98 million pound number nine, they could call upon <laughs> Oh, I was waiting for you to say that. <laughs> Not that you're obvious or anything. Um, right, OK, so uh, Chelsea-Liverpool finished 2-2. The winners, obviously, were Manchester City. Saka with a shot! Saka with the goal! Well, that wasn't in Manchester City scripts to start the new year. Are oh, Manchester City going to be gifted a penalty here? It was minimal contact, but he did have a hold of the shirt and the referee gives a penalty to Manchester City. Mares shoots into the corner. The port helps it goers and it's been steered in by Rodri in stoppage time at the end of the game. Manchester City have surely stolen the point. Well, Mikel expressed also his feeling that he's re really proud of the team of their performance, like we all are. But also, at the same time, he's frustrated at the end, of course, that we don't end up with at least one point, and I think we deserve three. Manchester City won on uh, Saturday lunchtime, live on TalkSport at 12.30. Crook was commentating on that. I mean, it's just like Pep Guardiola, isn't it, to play your worst game of the season, be absolutely second best, and have the best weekend in the world. Yeah, some people are just uh, born lucky, aren't they? I think probably it tells us more about Arsenal, actually, that they produced their not only their best performance of the season, arguably their best performance against a top-four team in many a year, and still managed to find a way to shoot themselves in the foot. Because, listen, there, there was some controversy. Uh, I spoke with Aaron Ramsdale after the game, and, and he used the word uh, inconsistency. He felt that if the uh, Manchester City penalty was checked by VAR, then... Stuart Atwell should also have been encouraged to come and have a look at the challenge from Edison on Erdegaard early in the game. He's probably right, but listen, I think it was a penalty for Manchester City. I think it was stupid from Granite Xhaka to grab hold of Bernardo's shirt. Whether he was already on the way down is, is irrelevant, and that's Granite Xhaka 
a senior player letting Arsenal down in a big game again. Let's not forget he was sent off. Has he ever fo- done that before? In the five 0 Has he ever yeah. done that before? Anyone know if he's done that? Can someone look in the archives and see if he's done it before? And and then they've oh, lo- done it a few times. You're joking. And then they lost their heads completely for five or six minutes. Gabriel was booked, we believe, for scuffing out the penalty spot, although Stuart Atwell was dishing out no, he cards. Wasn't. He, was, he was booked for mouthing off uh, uh, the referee, walking back from the penalty spot. Apparently, uh, PGMOL com- said that it was to do with... It wasn't foul and abusive language. It was being aggressive towards the referee. Now, Al- Albert Stoivenberg, who was the assistant, says that he's spoken to Gabriel. He says he maintains he didn't say anything foul or abusive to the referee at all. But it was the nature of the way he stormed up to him, apparently. But Stuart Apple seemed to have his yellow card in his pocket already. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm pleased you said that. Um, Aaron Ramsdale, again, actually said afterwards, I didn't even know that Gabriel had been booked. But having been booked, and presumably Gabriel was aware, to make that kind of challenge in the centre circle. Gabriel Jesus isn't going to score from there. It's going no. to take a lot for Manchester City to score from there. It's naive at best. It's reckless at worst. And I guess when you've got a team of young players, when you feel like you've had a decision go against you, maybe it's inevitable that you are going to lose your heads. But ultimately, that's what cost Arsenal the game. Having said that, you have to be positive about the way they play, particularly the first half. Thomas Partey was brilliant in midfield. He's another uh, African Cup of Nations-bound player that will be a big miss for his club. And Martinelli and Saka, the two flying wingers. I mean, Nathan Ake had an absolute nightmare against Saka, but it was the same on the other side. Uh, where Martinelli against Jao Cancelo was having a really good season. But he absolutely tied him in knots as well. So I think positives for Arsenal. But ultimately, it's another game against one of the top teams they've managed to lose. Alan Smith said afterwards that the result aside, the Emirates is now an aggressive, intimidating place to visit that people don't want to go to. Um, Pep obviously continued his Arsenal stroke Arteta loving. Uh, they were the better team, he said. Everyone in Manchester City came out and told everybody how great at Arsenal were, which is very easy to do when you've beaten them with a last-minute goal from Rodri. I suppose it's great for Manchester City that they didn't play particularly well. They weren't at their best, but they still managed to win. But, Darren, one thing that you've got to praise Arsenal for is the fact that they played not to contain them. They weren't pragmatic, soaked up the pressure and then hit on the counter-attack. They went out, confronted Manchester City in their faces and took the game to them. They did, and like you said, we I've seen a lot of fight from Arsenal, particularly in this game, and that's what you're you're starting to see more of with this team. Now it wasn't so much a young team; there's some experience in that in that side. But um, as you rightly said, no matter what the fight is, no matter you go toe to toe with Manchester City, they still lost. You know, and Manchester City just seemed to find a way, even when they're not performing to their best, which they didn't, by the way. They, they, for me, it wasn't one of their better games. They still find a way of winning, and. You know, like like you said, even today, Pep Guardiola is laughing. You know, they're they're ten points clear in, at the Premier League now. They're 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 sitting pretty. They've just played Arsenal, who've performed their best this season, and you know Manchester City haven't, and they still come out on top. Listen, there's some decisions in the game that were a bit a bit wayward. I think they both should have had a penalty. I do I do think the Odegaard one. You think one was the Odegaard one was a penalty? Do you? I mean, I, I must admit, I thought it was a clear penalty. Yeah, I do. I think why VAR's not looked at that, and you know, VAR get to look at stills, they get to look at slow motion, all different angles, and why how they didn't see that was a penalty, I do not know. And well, I asked them actually why they didn't recommend that Stuart Atwell come and looked at it, and then their answer is is actually that's not available to the VAR to be able to turn around and say, look. Actually, I've seen this angle and it looks like it's a pen. I've seen that angle. It doesn't look like it's a pen. Um, but you better have a look at it and see what you think, which is what you would think they would do if the, old, the whole idea of VAR is to ensure the referee is the sole arbiter of the game and mm. they're just assisting him. Actually, 
the rules of the IFAB VAR protocol insist that you can only recommend that a referee goes and looks at the monitor if you believe, as the VAR, that there is a clear and obvious error. And obviously, you can't say that because there are a couple of angles that show this and that and yeah. the other. So, you know, I think they're hamstrung a little bit by that protocol. I'd love to and that's where audio common sense and actual human touch needs to come in rather than in this strive for consistency, which is clearly never going to happen because people are humans and they make yeah. different judgments and things are subjective, that you try and sort of employ this sort of automaton rule structure where no one can sort of get out of this cage where they you know they can't make a sensible decision just mm. say you know, actually probably just needs a second look really i mean well, i'd love to hear some audio because i believe that's what var does uh, you look at the manchester city penalty um no doubt the var said do you know he pulled his shirt and the ref saying nope i don't know listen i'm just speculating but and then they said look i've seen him pull his shirt i suggest that's you a go clear and have an obvious error isn't it i, I mean, think that they were is, both that, clear that falls into their category that ticks one of their boxes darren and yeah. that's what you've got to be able to do if you can't take a tick a box in this game, then the, <laughs> you can't have your replay. Oh, dear. Anyway, listen, it must be frustrating. And you know what it's like. How, how frustrating is it when you're at your best and, 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 you, and it's still not good enough? Listen, I'm not saying that's particularly for you, Darren. Da- Darren Ambrose that finds that out every Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> On the way in. <laughs> it is frustrating. It's frustrating when, when you're playing well. But they've gone toe-to-toe, as you said, with Manchester City. So they'll take some positives out of that. Mikel Arteta will take some positives. But... No matter how many positives they've taken, they still lost the game, and that's going to be the most frustrating point for them. But it's what happens against the the top, very top teams. Okay, uh, let's move on. Watford nil, Tottenham Hotspur one. Another Saturday game where um, very, very late in the day, Tottenham have just about got over the line, just as Manchester City did. They won the three points courtesy of a goal from Davinson Sanchez. Good delivery into the box, and a very good header. Terrible line from Watford, who were deeper than the deep blue sea and didn't need to be right on top of their goalkeeper uh, for that d- delivery into the penalty area. But uh, there's another contra- controversial decision here because Hugo Lloris, probably crook, should have been sent off. Yeah. And, and again, I said to you in the car on Sunday morning as I was driving in to, to talk Sports Towers, it, it does seem a pattern that when VAR get one big decision wrong or there's one bit of VR controversy over the weekend it tends to filter through they they either have a a weekend where they don't block their copybook at all or there seems to be a sort of totting up of of controversial moments and yes listen it, it should have been a penalty for sure and a potential red card and would have clearly changed the course of the game having said that Tottenham absolutely battered Watford in the first half did everything but score and you do fear for Claudio Ranieri six defeats on the spin they're not renowned for patience those Watford at um, owners, but although they are, uh, by all accounts, looking to back him in the transfer market. But you do wonder how many more defeats he will be able to put up with. And we'll probably talk about the general picture at the bottom of the table. But it is looking like a four-horse race now, isn't it, for survival with Leeds beating Burnley. And for me at the moment, if Newcastle are going to stay up, I think Watford are probably the one team that they can catch. Yeah, everyone will be targeting them. I think it's seven defeats in nine now uh, for Claudio Ranieri, who's lost 68% of the game since winning the Premier League title with Leicester in the Premier League. I mean, that does ignore some successes he's had elsewhere on the continent with Sampdoria and Roma. But clearly, I mean, I think someone said yesterday that they're going to assess his position after he's had the chance to bring in a couple of defensive recruits and the performances over the course of this calendar month. Um, but, I mean, 
that that's not necessarily a vote of confidence, is it? I mean, that's basically saying, well, we're giving you one last chance, fella. Um, Kay missed a guilt-ed chance in the first half. Son had an effort stopped by Barkman. As you said, they had a lot of chances, Spurs, in the game. Darren, they had 29 crosses without scoring before eventually they got one in the box and managed to convert from it. I mean, what does that tell you about the Spurs front line, which last season in particular was absolutely potent? Yeah, obviously they weren't firing as much as they should be. Like you said, last season, if they had that many crosses, they would have scored three or four goals out of them. But this season, they're not quite firing just yet. But that's still a good sign. I mean, what Antonio Conte's done since he's arrived at the football club Five wins, three draws with question marks over the squad he inherited. They're in a cup semi-final as well against your team, obviously, Sam. Um, It's nothing short of a miracle at the moment. And now we're entering January where, by all accounts, he's been promised a budget. If he can get some of the players that that he wants and he's recommended and, and he knows will fit into the squad fantastically, you know, it's it's looking good for Tottenham. Now, I'm not saying they're top four guaranteed but they're definitely contenders they're in one they're, they're one of the few that are contenders for that top sport four spot and that's solely down to Antonio Conte at the moment hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Uh, we'll talk Crystal Palace against West Ham in just a second. Uh, we'll talk Everton as well. Big discussion on Everton incoming because they had a very disappointing afternoon. Leeds and Burnley. And we'll talk Brentford, Aston Villa as well. But during throughout this podcast, in fact, throughout, I, I imagine the whole day today, uh, Alex Crook has had his nose in the transfer trough. Um, have you got, got anything for us? Got any little tidbits that you can throw our way? Little scraps you can throw towards me and Ambrose? Well, yeah, I was just actually uh, sending an email there. Nathan Patterson looks like he Thanks is for concentrating. Everton bound from Rangers, uh, fee of around £10 million. He was a player that uh, Rafa Benitez had on his radar 
in the summer. Now, this is interesting because obviously they've already made uh, one signing uh, this uh, window already, bringing in Mylenko from Dinamo Kiev. He looks like a direct replacement for Luka Dinia. Um, Patterson is uh, a wing-back, really, as opposed to a full-back, right-sided. I've said before over the course of this season, they're too reliant on Seamus Coleman. So I think that's Rafa Benitez, uh, one, addressing some problem areas, but B, being backed by the Everton hierarchy. We know they're carrying out this internal review into what's gone wrong for the club. I did their game against Brighton. They were absolutely abject for the first half. I think Patterson will be a, a good addition for Everton. So that's uh, that's one that certainly is in the offing. Kieran Trippier pretty much looked to say farewell to the Atletico Madrid fans after playing in their 2-0 win against Rayo Vallecano. Diego Simeone coming out afterwards and saying we want him to stay, but we can't force him to. I think at negotiations between Newcastle and Atleti at an advanced stage. I know Trippier is, is keen to make that move. Personal terms won't be an issue. He's, issue. He's keen to return uh, to England. But one player who isn't very happy at the start of a new year, start of a new transfer window, is Dean Henderson at Manchester United. We know he's desperate to go out on loan and play some football, particularly in a World Cup year. Uh, Ralph Rangnick has made it pretty clear that that won't be happening this window. In fact, most of the fringe players at Manchester United, the likes of Donny van der Beek, uh, Jesse Lingard and Edison Cavani, who's not really a fringe player, but Ralph Rangnick coming out and saying that he wants certainly Edison Cavani to play. I don't think Lingard or van der Beek will be leaving uh, either. So maybe Rangnick, like Solskjaer, liking to have a big squad at his disposal in case of injuries and COVID. That is the problem, though, isn't it? The big squads at the big clubs will be retained unless there's value in them selling those players. We spoke about Anthony Martial as a prime candidate there. Unless someone's going to take him totally off the wage bill, then no, no one's going to subsidise these players to go out on loan because, you know, ultimately there could be a COVID outbreak at any moment, which means that you're down to 15 players and, and you'll need all the experience and, and all the talent that you can get your hands on, which is a, a reason to keep a bigger squad. One of the things we were talking about, I think maybe on Thursday's podcast, when you're planning for these disruptions, you, you need to retain a bigger squad. Not necessarily, as you say, good for the individual, because that means that their, their career may well falter slightly. And Dean Henderson, who at one stage this time last year, let's say, was eyeing up the Manchester United number one jersey, is now nowhere near the team, which is a bit of a, an issue uh, for him. Uh, let's reflect on the uh, other game on Saturday, West Ham and Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. Darren Ambrose... Uh, one of Daniel Ambrose's many teams. Uh, Crystal Palace 2, West Ham 3. And, and this was a battering. Well, it wasn't actually. It looked like that, didn't it? 3-0. When you're going in at half-time, 3-0 down, uh, Darren Ambrose. Yeah. But actually, that, that was really flattering for West Ham United. And probably Crystal Palace deserved their two goals in the second half to make it look a little bit more respectable. And more of an even contest, which is actually what it was. Absolutely, yeah. I felt Crystal Palace uh, deserved something out of this game, even if it was a point. But as you rightly said, you can't give away three goals. And what the, the only difference in the first half was how clinical West Ham were. I thought yeah. there's a great goal from Antonio and Lanzini. Absolutely fantastic. He's, the, the quick feet, the little adjustment and the volley was, was brilliant. <laughs> the, then a, a silly mistake from uh, Luka Milivojevic and... Um, why the referee, how he didn't see that anyway to be a penalty. I don't know. He was standing two yards away from him, had to have five different angles from, from VAR um, to to say that was a penalty. But I felt Crystal Palace dominated this game in terms of possession, in terms of chances. 
um, but just weren't clinical enough until they made their substitution, which is quite normally the way with Crystal Palace this season. Michael Elise came on, Mateta, who's been very much aligned this season, come on, um, and he, he, he made a difference as well. And, you know, the overhead kick right at the end, they could have nicked something out of the game. Yeah, they wobbled a little bit West Ham United right at the very end. Elise's delivery uh, for the two goals, actually, very, very impressive. It made a huge impact. I think uh, Ian Wright was saying, you know, if that guy had been on 10 minutes more, uh, then uh, they probably would have changed the nature of the game. Mm. Uh, Edward's done well, actually, hasn't he? Come back to life in the last couple of games, hit the bar. Benteke had a shot that was saved as well. Some good chances in that first half for Crystal Palace, despite the fact that they didn't get on the score sheet till very, very late in the game. David Moyes said afterwards, we need to get back to being really mean. But he's had defensive issues, hasn't he? I mean, half his defence has been ripped apart over the course of the season. In fact, three of his first choice back four are still not available. No, and actually, uh, on the subject of transfers, I believe they're looking at a couple of Fulham players. It might not be that easy to get them out of Craven Cottage in this window, but Anthony Robinson is definitely someone on David Moyes' radar and down that left-hand side with Cresswell injured and Masuaku also struggling to, to save it on a regular basis. I think that could be an option, if not now, then for the summer. And uh, the boy uh, Tosin as well is someone that uh, David Moyes is an admirer right, of. And, okay. and I think they do need to uh, start being more defensively resolute. We had this debate with Darren Lewis, what, 12 weeks ago that they conceded too many goals? He disagreed with that. But you don't want to have to score three goals away from home to win a game. But having said that, it's been a good couple of matches for West Ham, hasn't it? They, they were going through a poor run of form. People were starting to say, well, they're going to fall away now with Arsenal dropping points. They're only a point behind the Gunners in that race for fourth place. And I think it'd be great for that battle for Champions League football if they can go on a run now and, and really play a part in it. Well, I will say, Sam, sorry, just to quickly touch on this game because we see Patrick Vieira picked up a yellow card right at the, at the end of the game for confronting the referee. And, and I questioned why he didn't see Luka, um, Milivojevic, his handball, being two yards away from it. How he didn't see and why the, the, the fourth official didn't see either, or the, the, the linesman, how Dawson clearly had a pass back right towards the end when Crystal Palace were really coming um, forward and trying to get that equaliser. Yeah, I do. I think it was a very... Listen, he he deliberately made an attempt to pass it back to the goalkeeper. Fabianski picked it up and, you know, it should have been a pass back. And I think that's why managers are so um, angry nowadays because the the, the referees seem to just be relying on VAR nowadays and not really making any decision. It was a clear pass back and should have been given. Whether that would have turned into a goal, who knows? Can you give that on VAR, Sam? Because a pass back is a free kick, isn't it? You can't give that on VAR. No. I think that's why um, that's the referees only, are just questioning. You can that. only give that if you if, if you see it first time. Mm. The referee cannot take any advice from the VAR about going back and giving a free kick. It's only match-changing incidents, goals, penalties, sending offs, mistaken identity, etc., uh, etc., et that can be uh, determined by VAR. But I think the overall point is is that we've got a, a situation where the, the officials lack confidence. Really, yeah. they lack confidence and conviction and I mean, a former Premier League official, Keith Hackett, said over the weekend that he believed that they had become lazy, uh, believing that, you know, if they didn't give a decision, if it was that bad, then VAR would overturn it. Well, I think we've seen actually over the course of this season that that's not necessarily always the case. I mm-hmm. think, they, you know, sometimes it feels like they don't want, the VAR doesn't want to intervene to overturn one of their mates' decisions. And, you know, I have heard that. I have heard that. So it's very difficult uh, to to sort of 
sit there and think, you know, just let the VAR get on with it. The, the arbiter of the match has to be the referee and the referee has to make the big calls and has to have the balls to make the big calls, mm. basically. That is the situation. Do we need to change that, though? Because you look at the way that the video referee works in rugby union and, and cricket. Is this, again, football and, and the Premier League being arrogant, believing their own hype? What's wrong with actually... I don't think what, the Premier what's wrong League with passing on that responsibility? I believe it's more to do with the overall workings of VAR. I do think that David Ellery, obviously formerly of this parish and now very much part of FIFA and IFAB and Pierre Luigi Kalina's best mate sitting there working through the rule book, ripping it up and trying to start again and making it more simple. I've got the rule book here, by the way, the laws of the game. It is some tome. Uh, I'm flicking through it now. There's two over, well over 200 pages of, you know, scenarios and advantages and stuff like that. I mean, it's so overcomplicated when it doesn't need to be. Um, so I just think that they've, they've They've got it in their head that everything has to be cut and dry, black and white. And, and football really isn't black and white and cut and dry. Sometimes mm. there's a bit of nuance to it. And sometimes like the prime example yesterday, I thought, was the, the Gabrielle situation. Stuart Atwell, who I don't think is a very good referee. And that's no personal sort of slight on him. I just don't think his performances over the course of his 10 years uh, in the championship, in the, in the Premier League, have been very good. I just don't think that's the case. In fact, I, I did a game many years ago when he was refereeing a youth cup match and it wasn't particularly good. I don't understand how he got so quickly fast-tracked into the Premier League in the first place. But yesterday, you know, a good referee turns round when he's given a penalty against Arsenal, it's all going off, and he tries to calm the Arsenal players down. He says, you, go over there. Captain, come over here. Let's discuss it. Let's take the, the heat out of the situation. Let's bring everything down a couple of notches. By doing that, he doesn't book Gabriel. The situation on the halfway line doesn't ha happen. The game doesn't disintegrate and he doesn't lose control of it. He did do that. And as a result, we're now having debate and debate, debate, debate about, over his decision and his performance again. And he becomes a centre of attention, which I'm not too sure he's that uh, unhappy about. Anyway, let's move on to Super Sunday. Time Brentford 2, Aston Villa 1 and Aston Villa's wait for a first victory over Brentford since 1953 continues. Danny Ings and Johan Visa shared first half goals, both of which were excellent finishes, although it was a first half which Villa dominated. Leeds 3, Burnley 1 in stoppage time and Dan James has got it. The subs have combined. Gohart has made a real impact. He put a left-footed ball into the area. James with the head of steaming at the far post. Three much-needed points for Leeds United. Dan James with the goal, Leeds 3, Burnley 1. And that is the final action of the game and you can hear the boos ringing out around Goodison Park because Everton, their struggles continue and the pressure is mounting on Rafa Benitez. Just one win in 12 for them. Well, 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 Rafa Benitez is in serious, serious trouble. Everton 2, Brighton 3. Never before in their history have Brighton ever won away at Everton in any competition. But they hadn't even scored at Stamford Bridge until Wednesday, Wednesday night. Graham Potter is performing another miracle, Alex. Seven points out of a possible nine over the festive period. He'll be absolutely delighted. Brighton up to eighth in the table. Probably fanciful to suggest they could challenge for Europe, but uh, only uh, Liverpool, Manchester City and Chelsea have lost fewer games than Brighton at the halfway stage of the season. So you have to give them credit for that. Having said that, it was an Everton side in the first half who were there for the taking. Uh, they looked short of fit fitness after a couple of weeks off. They looked devoid of character, devoid of confidence. And Brighton scored two excellent goals, but defensively, 
the Toffees were a shambles. They came back into it in the second half. Anthony Gordon credited with both goals. I think the first goal was probably a shot that was going wide before Lalana deflected it in. But he played well in the second half. Calvert-Lewin wasn't great on his return from injury. I think their penalty has just about landed on Venus now. It was so far over the crossbar. And problems for Everton. Two wins in 14 games. Uh, One of those was against Norwich. How they managed to beat Arsenal on that Monday night remains a mystery. And also in that time, they've managed to lose to Queen's Park Rangers on penalties in the League Cup. As we've mentioned already, he is being backed in the transfer market. But my word, do Everton need a transformation because this is a club who I do think genuinely their owner, Farhad Mashiri, harbours Champions League ambitions at the moment. They're closer to plunging into the championship than they are to mixing shoulders with Europe's elite. Yeah, be fascinating to see what happens when they take on Hull away from home in the FA Cup next Saturday. Um, Everton fans hadn't actually seen their team at home since December the 6th. I bet they wish they hadn't bothered. Um, I think it's I think it's 10 times in the last 12 games that they considered the first goal That's right. in a match. One win in 12 matches. I mean, that is a dreadful return. But... But, Darren Ambrose, you've got to praise Brighton, haven't you? I mean, as a Crystal Palace man, I know it's difficult, but go on, just, just tell me how good Brighton have been. Yeah, I think the the, the big thing go for on, Brighton say, is, say, is say Graham Potter. Nice. I think Graham Potter's a fantastic manager. I remember last season, Crookie, we had um, Steve Sidwell in the boot room and he said he's a future England manager. And and I can see it. At the time, I thought that was a, a, a bit of too high praise, but I can see it now. And they don't score many and they don't concede many. I think the goal goal difference is zero. zero, Yeah, scored 20, (laughs) conceded 20. Um, But they really, they just get the job done. And they've gone away to Everton where in previous years, you'd say that would be a a simple victory for Everton. It wasn't the case. And they seem to be able to to find ways of of beating teams. And very much like Crystal Palace, actually, in terms of they they draw a lot of games. If they could have turned some of their draws into victories, again, like Crystal Palace, my team, that I used to play for, they'd be pushing right up that league. But Graham Potter is a fantastic manager, and I think he is a big difference for them. One of the things we have to credit them with is that, you know, Last season, they were losing too many matches. They probably turned some of those defeats into draws. And that's why they're 10 points better off than they were at this stage last season, which has got to be a major feather in the cap of the manager. Um, I want to talk about the Everton defending, right? Because Dan Byrne doesn't score very many goals. In fact, it's only the second goal that he's ever scored for Brighton and Hove Albion. Now, if there's one person that you can't miss in the box, it's Dan Byrne. He's a giant. He is officially a giant. He's six foot seven inches tall. Now, how on earth did he manage to lurk at the back post unmarked to get his goal, the second goal in the game for Brighton? And arguably the goal that actually put them into such a good position that they went on to win the game. Well, I'm pleased you mentioned Dan Byrne because I mentioned in commentary for TalkSport International, him and uh, Joel Veltman or Joel Veltman, as he calls himself on the uh, on the official pronunciation video, They've been two unsung heroes for Brighton because they've lost Lewis Dunk, who's their best defender. Uh, Adam Webster has missed a lot of games as well due to injury. He's their second best defender. And then Shane Duffy uh, also hasn't played too much of late and he's really had a renaissance this season. So those two players have had to step up. They've both played all the way uh, across the back four. So I think it's brilliant for Dan Byrne that he he got that reward in terms of a goal. But Brighton actually tried that corner quite a few times. Uh, ball played into near, the near post. Enoch Mwepu winning the flick on. He won it more than once. And as you say, not only did Everton uh, miss the first header for Mepu, they then left Dan Byrne unmarked. I think a couple of their players were trying to 
play him offside, but John Joe Kenny, the fullback, was keeping him onside. So it was a shambles. And the first goal as well. Uh, good ball in from Veltman. Yeah, Mope wins the first header. McAllister unmarked for, for the finish, which he took well. Although Jordan Pickford, I'm not sure what he was doing, coming out with the feet and getting nowhere near the ball. Two really poor goals to concede. And even the winner, good interplay by Brighton in and around the penalty area, but it was too easy. There's a lot of passing the started with It started with a poor clearance from Michael Keane. Yeah, there's that a lot of passing the buck, Sam, with Everton. A lot of passing the buck, no leadership at the back. And that tends to happen where when you're very low on confidence, which they are. You've Listen, Godfrey, Keane, Holgate, Pickford, someone needs to take charge of the situation, be a leader in the box, particularly when you're defending set plays. You've got Seamus Coleman, the most experienced player on the pitch for them. Someone be a leader. Pick your men. If if you're not picking your men, mark a space. And they got done and, and they seem to always be getting done on set plays, which is just unfortunate. A Leeds three, Burnley one. Maxwell Cornet scored an absolutely brilliant free kick. Wonderful free kick. Arcing it up over the wall, into the net. Brilliant, brilliant goal. But for absolutely nothing. Because Leeds United came out, scored uh, early on. Jack Harrison with uh, the goal. He hasn't scored too many this season after a really bright first campaign back in the Premier League. Um, and but, I mean, a couple of things sort of really sort of caught me in this match. One, there was a point when this game was still on a knife edge. Uh, 1-1 and Gelhart comes on and it does make a massive difference because it gives them a focal point up front, which allowed them to have a platform from which to build. Bielsa making a very good change there. The second thing was is that Dan James scored a header. Now, I don't mean to be rude, but Burnley Burnley are usually well known for being the big brutish defence that doesn't let anybody knock them over and they can compete with the very best physically. Dan James scored a header. Just let that sink in. He's, he's smaller than me. He's smaller than that elf you've been taking around to all the Premier League games while I've been in COVID isolation. I, I think Dan James scoring any goal is a shock. I think that's his first goal since 2007, isn't it, or something like that? Um, but to score a header, you're right, is unforgivable. I'm sure Sean Dyche will be fuming. But that feels like a significant moment for Leeds. They've got 19 points now from their 19 games. A point a game will be more than enough to keep them up this season. They've got daylight to the bottom three. And as I said earlier, I think it is three from four now. Norwich down already. Newcastle who for me have got the best chance of those three of staying up, Burnley and Watford. And uh, yeah, in Gelhart, Leeds, Leeds have found a German with the injury absentees they've had up top. I think uh, he will have a big part to play in the second half of the season. Yeah, Tyler Roberts uh, with a big miss as well in that game. But we're talking about Burnley very quickly. Um, one win in 20 Premier League matches. Their only victory over Brentford on October the 30th. Scoring has been a real, real problem for them and now Maxwell Corner, who is probably their best source of goals this season is going away uh, to the African Cup of Nations another big African talent in the Premier League um, look apparently Burnley are going to push the button on a few transfers during the course of this Too late. transfer period but I, I, I'm not entirely sure I trust this, the new owner and the new structure it doesn't it, for whatever reason tell me I'm being cynical or whatever it just doesn't seem to sit right with me. He says it's too late, Darren Ambrose. What do they need and where can they get reinforcements? I mean, Tarkovsky made a huge mistake for mm. one of the goals uh, this weekend. He, he apparently is going to be off at least at the end of the season, if not before. Mm. Well, they need players. They need to recruit the right players. And we, Crookie spoke about Newcastle and they're in a, a similar boat in terms of January is really important for them. I just, 
I think Sean Dyche has done enough at Burnley now. I don't think he can do it again. He saves them year after year, season after season. They always go on a little run towards the end of the season and then they're safe. I don't think they're going to do it this time. I, I agree with Crookie. I think Newcastle are going to be the team that will survive out of the, the bottom three. Norwich, Burnley, Watford, Newcastle. I think Newcastle will be the ones to, to survive there. And maybe it's it, maybe it will be positive news in terms of um, Sean Dyche because... You know, he's been at Burnley a long, long time. I'd love to. I think he's fantastic manager. Whatever happens this season, I, I think he's great in interviews. I really like him. And I'd love to see him try his trade somewhere else in the Premier League and, and go to another club. And maybe if Burnley can't survive this season, which I don't think they will, maybe that's the opportunity that he'll get to say, right, I've come, come far enough with you and I'll go elsewhere. Uh, Brentford against Aston Villa the final game we'll look at uh, this weekend Brentford winners by two goals to one they should never have won the game um, Aston Villa took the lead and they were the better team for pretty much an hour in this match but they allowed Brentford back into the game I mean Crookie tells me that uh, Brentford are the most direct team in the league well actually both their goals came from playing out from the back uh, this weekend the first of which what I think they did was is they passed the ball amongst the back line for so long that everybody went to sleep and forgot they were playing a football match <laughs> and then they just pounced very quickly and scored. I, I mean, it, was, it was so boring. They were knocking the ball around between the four defenders for ages before they eventually decided to go bang, bang, bang and it's in the back of the net. Darren Ambrose. Listen, I, I like Brentford. I like the way they, they play. Obviously, you know... Um, uh, they they're going to frustrate you. They've they've done that season this season to to almost every team they played. I do think they are direct most of the time. Today, obviously, we see a different side of that. But this result today, if there was any doubt, I think has, has secured their their Premier League status. I think they they'll be absolutely fine this season. And you know, if they were f to finish seventeenth this season, that's that's great for them survival. I like the way they've come into the the league and not taken any prisoners, really, and just gone about their business. Thomas Frank, I think, is a great manager. And um, unfortunately for Aston Villa, they were on the, the end of some, as you said, some unique goals in terms of Brentford playing out from the back, which is unusual for them. It was, it was brilliant, really. I mean, it's magic, tactic, really, just to send people to sleep and then just hit uh, <laughs> like that. It was That's what impressive. Crookie does to us on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Stephen Gerrard saying afterwards you know if you dominate a game like that you, you must not you cannot afford to lose it as a result of that Brentford leapfrog Aston Villa in the table don't they I mean they're definitely going to be okay uh, this season we'll have a second season in the in the Premier League could be tougher a great atmosphere do you remember when I called Sheffield United to get relegated a year before they were watch out for Brentford next mm. season Oh, yeah, well done. Fantastic. What a bold claim that is. <laughs> Team with 15,000 crowd and not much investment might get relegated next year. Very easy to say now. Let's see what happens next year. Uh, where are Aston Villa going to finish then, uh, Nostradamus? 12th. Yeah. It's about right, isn't worth, it, for Villa? Was, was that worth sacking Dean Smith for, do you think? Well, he's not exactly proved them wrong at Norwich so far, has he? <laughs> and then again, I'm not being funny. He's not Harry Potter, is he? Let's be clear. Um, but before you go, do you, do you want to apologise for uh, slagging off the Leicester players on, on Twitter? Do you want to do that? Uh, not massively. We had a good debate about this on Sunday night on the boot room. And I'm thinking you're probably more on my side of the camp than the, the two ex-footballers. So, so basically what happened was, is that on Saturday night, James Madison and a few other uh, players, Harvey Barnes was there. I think, did I see Kieran? Kin and Jude Jude Hall on that table as well. Or a table. Hamza Chowdhury, I think, I saw from behind. 
Yeah, Chowdhury was there. Uh, they're on a table at the darts. Uh, obviously, they've had games called off because of COVID. And there was a point earlier in the in December where Brendan Rodgers said, we need help. We can't play all these games. They asked for fixtures to be called off because they were struggling to get a team out. And then the players on their weekend off have gone to um, an indoor event surrounded by lots of people who they don't usually mix with. Um, and and you were a few others were a bit surprised that they decided to make that decision, weren't you? Yeah, uh, you know, in the current climate, when games are being called off readily, not just in the Premier League but the EFL as well. I've heard stories of, of League One clubs allowing their players to go to Winter Wonderland dressed as traffic cones, then wondering why they have a COVID outbreak. I think players should be doing all they can to reduce the risk of transmission, and we know that COVID is more transmissible in an indoor environment than it is in the open air, say when you're watching a, a football match. And I think it, it perceptually it sends out the wrong image. James Madison uh, at the centre of it again. I don't think that will go down very well with Gareth Southgate. And if Leicester do find themselves in a situation where they're having to ask, say, for their FA Cup tie next weekend to be postponed due to a COVID outbreak, I hope that doesn't happen. It's a PR disaster for Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, I mean, it's all about what happens in the future, isn't it? Because if things do go wrong, it doesn't look particularly good. But you can't keep people cooped up inside uh, their houses when there is no law or guidance to do so, Darren. I mean, I suppose the what Crookie's saying is, is that from a PR point of view, it doesn't look great, does mm. it? Now, this is a subject, and like like we said, this will divide opinion from from a lot of players and and a lot of people. And and like Quickie said, me and Benty and, and me in particular, I d- didn't really see anything wrong with it. I think. Would um, you have gone? Um, if it was a club function, yeah. Listen, if the manager sat you down and said, "Look, no one uh, go to the darts or no one go out or all go home," no, I wouldn't have gone. Absolutely, no, I wouldn't have broken the rules. But if it was. Um, given permission by the club then yeah I would have gone if it was a club function if it was a, a get together absolutely and I, I think they've broken no rules they're not would in you lockdown. go now um what do you mean right now yeah if I said to you come on I've got a couple of tickets to the darts would you go now well I've got to get home to my newborn so I'd probably uh probably not would you no. go would, would you go would you have a night out at the darts now yeah, I would, Bearing yeah. Mind yeah. you're going to all these football matches and you're going around the country and you're broadcasting. Listen, you're not breaking any rules. No one's breaking rules. I'm if, not suggesting you are, but I'm asking, you know, it's interesting. I'm just, I'm asking because playing devil's advocate yeah. because initially when I first saw it, I thought, why have they done that? Mm. They're just putting themselves in the firing line they don't need to do. Actually, then I was speaking to someone who was on the table next to them and they were saying, well, actually, they play, behaved really well. Mm. They were having fun with some of the punters around them, but no one went near them and they were keeping themselves very separate to everybody else. They weren't drinking. They were messing around with pints of water and playing games with the, the crowd around them and actually had a very pleasant time and everyone was all very well behaved. Yeah. So, you know, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. The issue comes with if they're in a situation where they lose matches which they have done already, by the way, yeah. because of COVID situations, and that's involving them losing players and matches being called off as a result of that. That has a knock-on effect to loads of other people in their industry. For example, fans book hotels, fans book trains, fans take days off to go and watch their football team. And if your team has a game that is cancelled because your players have been not necessarily behaving in a sensible way, they're high net worth individuals, they have to make sacrifices, that's just the way things are, then you can understand why people could get a little bit irked by that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and like you said, they they are high net worth individuals, and and I think that's 
um, to a certain extent, that will work for them. They've obviously gone down there in luxury. They're, they've sat in their own bubble. Um, by all accounts, they've been courteous to people, um, not really got close to anyone. And yeah, it remains to be seen. I could be eating my words if Leicester have a few games called off through COVID. But you've got to let these the, these players live their life in a world of mental health and, and situations like that. They need to yep. go out and they need to be able to live. Um, it, it it always comes back to, to what they earn, etc. And I, I understand that. But they're paying customers. They're, they want to go and watch the darts, have a good night out. And if, like Crookie said, Touchwood, nothing comes of it, they're, they're all absolutely fine, then this will all be forgotten in, in, in the next couple of weeks. Crookie, do you reckon they're paying customers? No, I don't reckon. I reckon it's a free day. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Definitely. They had the table seats as well, which are really coveted, yeah. didn't they? So, yeah, I think there's... <laughs> There's certainly been a bit of hospitality enjoyed there. And listen, I hope it works out. But I think a lot of football fans, and our producer Jeremy was nodding along, will come down on my side of the argument as opposed to Mr Ambrose's. Okay, it's not always black and white. Sometimes there's a little bit of nuance, all right? Okay, you know, you don't always have to... Have have you seen that film that's out at the moment, Don't Look Up? You don't always have to be on one side or the other. I mean, just, (laughs) just you be sensible about it and get involved in the whole debate and listen to a lot of different opinions and make your mind up formed on, you know, sensible reasonable takes not necessarily polarizing opinions you don't have to you don't have to just try to divide everyone crook all the time you know not always not always right and wrong not trying to fight all the time it's a nightmare um you've had a shave by the way yeah Oof, that a, looks good a bad one yeah, uh, right bad okay one. uh that's it from us we'll be back on uh, what day are we back next week thursday i think we're back on thursday uh to preview the uh, weekend's action in the uh, fa cup we have got nine live commentary games on talk sport and the Talksport network over the course of uh, next weekend as we go through all of the matches in the FA Cup third round. We've got an exclusive commentary on the Monday night as well, which is Manchester United against uh, Aston Villa. And it's interesting that Darren uh, pointed out, you know, players and the public need to be able to go out and express themselves and live their life um, to uh, help their mental health. I have been indoors for nine days. Tomorrow is day 10. I will be leaving my COVID jail very, very soon. And believe me, I am fully on board. I mean, you offered me a ticket to the darts. I'd be there in a flash on Tuesday night, that's for sure. Uh, but then again, I've probably got a little bit of immunity now. Uh, right, thank you very much uh, for choosing the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Uh, make sure you tell all your friends and family about it. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.